are listening to Nightlight. Hi, and welcome to this, the latest edition of Nightlight. So nice to be with you once again. And with us on the show this week is David Kiran. Nice to have you with us, David. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. This is awesome. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And thanks for coming to Uganda. You've been here for almost three weeks. You've been uh, teaching in the churches and different groups around the country. How's it been? Has it only been only three weeks? <laughs> oh, it seems like a lifetime. Oh, it's been awesome. It's been such an amazing experience. I don't know if I told you, I've been wanting to come to Africa for so many years since the time I was a kid. And to finally be here, it's a dream come true. And it's been so much better than I could have hoped for. God's been good in that he's, I've had the chance to meet so many different people, go to so many different places, and just have a chance to interact with people who are so, so hungry for the word and so receptive to what you have to say. And it's just been a very rewarding experience for me being able to, you know, pour out from from the word mm-hmm. stuff for them that, you know, they can take back and apply to their own lives. And it's just been beautiful. So thanks for having me. Yes, you've had some adventures whilst you're here, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> All over the place. You know, we've been been up in the mountains. We've been in the West, traveling through the jungles on the back of a boda, <laughs> you know. It's it's all part and parcel of the adventure, but that's what just makes it so wonderful because everything is. I would say it's almost untouched some of these places because you go you go on the back of a boda boda and you end up in the jungle, and then you go and they set up a, a tent and they're like, okay, come teach. And there's places like full, there's no standing room, and then you teach there for a few hours, and then they're like, come, we want you to go speak somewhere else, and they put you on the back of another boda and you cut off off another hill, you know, driving through a cow pasture, and then you come to a little mud hut, and that's also full beyond belief, and then you talk there, and no matter where you go, everyone's receptive and everyone mm-hmm. wants to hear everyone wants to learn and they're so grateful for it mm-hmm. and i think that so even though the days are long it gets tiring you know the adventures are a little bit hairy scary sometimes <laughs> you know you're wondering if you're going to fall off the boat or not a boat but, by the way is uh, listeners is a um, motorcycle taxi yeah so but you know it's just so rewarding to be able to teach to people that really really want to hear it you know i i've taught in different parts of the world in some places you know they they listen to you because they're interested, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just out of curiosity's sake. Here, they listen because they really, really want it, mm-hmm. and it's not just that they want it; they actually go and apply it right away. Mm-hmm. And so that is super beautiful to see. Yes, because you know, it's not—they're not just hearing the word; they're actually going and doing it. And you know, that's as it says in the book of James. That's when they actually start, you know, seeing their works blessed. So, mm-hmm. I've been honored to be a part of that. Switch off and switch on to nightlight. Well, David, on this show, maybe you'd like to share one of your classes that you've been teaching during your visit here. But first, well, tell us a little about yourself, your background. A bit about me. Well, um, I'm I'm from India, and I I travel on occasion to different places to speak about different things. Most of my work is usually done in the secular spaces. And I'm talking about, you know, things to do with like life coaching and purpose in life and helping people, you know, discover that for themselves. So it's always, it's a real honor and a privilege when I get to come to a place like this and be able to teach straight out of the Bible because, you know, that's, that's what people want. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty enjoyable and I really hope that this is not my last trip here. I hope I can come <laughs> here a few more times. Yes, please do. Well, what class would you like to teach on Nightlight today out of the ones that you've been teaching here? Well, um, you know, they say always start at the very beginning. 
So I feel a good place to start, especially on the on the bedrock foundation of our faith, is uh, salvation. Because you know, if there's if there's no Jesus, if we have no confidence in you know in who He is and what He's done, then you know beyond that, there you know there really isn't much else. So um, I think this is this is a class that I've taught in a few different places there on Seisei Island and a few things. It's it's a story that we all know pretty well. It's the story of the prodigal son. But I would dare say that most of us have um, have read it wrongly. In fact, we've even titled it wrongly. We call it the story of the prodigal son. But really, if you actually understand it, it's the story about the prodigal God, about the prodigal father. And so I want to be able to share it in the original context that the hearers would have heard it. Because this was, uh, even though we have it translated in our Bibles the way it was, this was given to Jews in first century Palestine who were hearing things through the context that they understood through the laws of Moses and through the culture of that time. And so the message that came through to them was very, very different than the message that we get from it today. And so I would, you know, I've had, it's been my privilege to share that with people. Okay, David, well, before you start your exposition on the story of the prodigal son, let's just first pause and listen to the story told in song by Jeremy Spencer. a man who had two sons the younger one wanted to leave and take his share of his inheritance and do as he pleased and so he gathered all together and journeyed away to waste his life in riotous living playing foolish games He had spent all the king A famine in the land He began to be in want With nothing left in his hand He went to work for a local farmer Feeding the swine He fain would have fed on the husks Now that he was no longer living so fine Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son When he came to himself He said I'm Going back home My father's servants Have enough to eat And I'm dying all alone I'll arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, please take me in. Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? saw him coming from afar and rejoiced inside called his servants to prepare a feast with dancing and wine let us sing let us be merry he's now safe and sound my son 
son was dead and alive again Was lost in his fan Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son And that was Jeremy Spencer with a recent recording of his old classic, Prodigal Son. And the story of the Prodigal Son is the topic of a class that I heard our guest on Nightlight today, David Kiran, teach at a local church on the beautiful Sessi Islands in Lake Victoria. And now, David, I'm very much looking forward to you sharing it with our Nightlight listeners. Time for a spiritual exercise. So if you have your Bibles handy, uh, we can turn to the 15th chapter of Luke. Would you like me to read the verses? Yes, please. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto him his living. So you notice how he just read that in verbatim. You know, he just read through it. And if I had not stopped you, you probably would have gone on and read the 13th verse and the 14th verse. Right. But at this point, for the original listeners who are listening, there would have been a pause here because everyone would have been shocked. Hmm. Because what Jesus just made was a very shocking statement. And I'll tell you how he did that. So in ancient days, in first century Palestine... The, according to the Jewish community, everything was run by patriarchal families. Right. So you had a head of the family, and your family could be as large as anywhere from 50 people to 600 people. Gosh. It didn't matter. You still had one head of the family. Patriarch of that family was the oldest son of his father. And he received, when his father passed away, he received the title of patriarch. And he was responsible for the family. He was responsible for, you know, the success of it, for furthering it, making it bigger, making it larger. And so all the responsibility was on him. But at the same time, all of the blessing fell on him as well. He had all the wealth, he had all the titles, he had all mm. the permission, and it was his responsibility to take care of the family. Right. But that was the oldest son's thing. Mm-hmm. And so here is two sons, but it's the younger son who's coming to his father and saying, hey, hey, dad, I want what belongs to me. Now, what belongs to him if he's the younger son? Nothing. nothing. Absolutely nothing belongs to him. Mm. This is a ridiculous claim. He's claiming something that doesn't even belong to him. Hmm. And by doing so, what's he saying? He says, give me an inheritance. Mm -hmm. Now, in those days, inheritance were only passed on once the patriarch had died. Right. And so what he's basically doing, he's going to his father and saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Gosh. And I wish my older brother was dead too, because then I would get all this. I hate you. I hate my older brother. And I want this. And so the original listeners who were hearing this would be absolutely horrified. And they're expecting the next words out of Jesus' mouth to be, and then the father went and stoned his son. (laughs) Because that that was the tradition at the time. Yes. One of the Ten Commandments, which were the superior commandments to everything, was honor your father and your mother. And they expound on it in the book of Leviticus to say that if if any child insulted their father or mother, they could legally by the court be executed. Hmm. And so what this son is doing by demanding what doesn't belong to him, and in essence saying that he wants his father and brother dead, he is committing a sin worthy of death. 
Yes. Wow. And so everyone is listening and thinking, all right, so now the father is going to kill that son because that's what's right to do. And then when Jesus says, when he says that the father divided the, to them his living, they're absolutely horrified. They're like, what kind of a father is this? Hmm. What's he doing? He's not following according to the law. He's just been insulted. He's just been asked to do something that no one in history has done before. And he's doing it. And he's dividing it to for them. And everyone's thinking, wow, this is this this is the very odd father. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's read the next verse. Verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. All right. So the son now does something that the patriarchs would have never, ever done before. What he does is he takes his living and he sells it. Now, you would never divide the family fortune. Your job as as the inheritor of the family promise was to increase the family wealth. You were to increase the family stature because the family slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you were supposed to acquire more land, more animals, not less. Mm. But he's taken half of the father's things and he's gone and sold it. And he took the money. And then as we all know the story very well, he went to the city and completely squandered it all on riotous living. And the old word, uh, Hebrew word for riotous meant that every imaginable thing under the sun he was doing. Gosh. So every sin that you could possibly imagine him to be committing, he is committing. I mean, this guy is, there's nothing that's hidden from him. You know, mm-hmm. he's engaging in adultery. He's drunk all the time. You know, he's he's cursing people, probably, you know, got involved in a few fights, maybe ordered a few murders. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It just mm-hmm. said that every possible sin that could be committed, this son is currently engaging in it. And he's completely lost at this mm-hmm. point. Next verse. And when he had spent everything... There arose a great famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Okay, so then the famine comes, he has no more money, he can't find anything to eat, and so he goes to work. And he's working with the farmer, and he's so hungry that he said the Bible says he'd gladly eat even the food that's given to the pigs. And we all know that the pigs get the absolute scraps because they're the ultimate garbage men. But even the ultimate garbage is looking wonderful for this son, and he's like he's just desperate to survive, and still no one is giving him absolutely anything. And so the people listening to this are thinking, "Good, well that's what he deserves." He went out there. He's doing. He broke all the rules. He broke the laws of God, going out there and living in sin. And now God is punishing him. He's, you know, he's going to starve to death in the famine. He's going to die. That's what's supposed to happen to him. Next verse. Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Okay, very key word there. It said when he came to himself. Hmm. That means he had a realization. Like finally he started thinking straight. Right. He had a moment of self-awareness when he realized that, what am I doing? What I'm doing is wrong. Up until this point, he thought he was right the entire time. But it took that moment of self-awareness. It took that moment of him realizing that what I'm doing is wrong. And that led him onto the path to repentance. And I think that's that, that stands to reason for every person. You know, you can't really convince somebody 
that what you know you're living a wrong lifestyle you can't really convince somebody that what you're doing is you know it's sinful it's not right according to the law of the lord that is something that they will have to realize in their own way but when they come to themselves the bible says when they have that realization then they realize that okay i need something bigger than me you know i need to go back to the father's house i need a savior and at this point he realizes the bible says he comes to himself and says what i'm doing is wrong let me go back to the father's house I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. All right, so he, he, he says, all right, I know I've sinned. I know what I've done is wrong. I know that I'm a terrible place. I know that I can never hope to gain the the love of my father again i know i cannot hope to be his son again but maybe he'll let me be his servant maybe he'll let me work there so at least i will not starve to death and so he gets up and he goes and people are thinking no that's wrong what are you doing you're not supposed to be doing that you can't hope for that and so they're thinking well now when he comes to the father's house now the father will exact judgment on him because what has he done first he insulted the father and then he went away and spent everything, wasted it all, and now he's coming back hoping for something else. But what does the father do? But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now the people who are listening to this, they are once again absolutely shocked. They're like, what is this father doing? This is not a father. This is something we've never heard of before. Because first of all, patriarchs never ran. They walked. The woman would run. The children would run. The patriarch would never, ever run. (laughs) In fact, it's from the patriarchs where we get the word pace setter from. Because whenever they would travel to a certain gathering, the patriarch set the pace. If he was a fast person, everyone walked fast. If he walked slow, everyone walked slow. And generally, as the patriarchs got older, they walked slower and slower. And so everyone would naturally travel at a slower pace because of them. No one ever expected the father to go running. But this father sees his son and he goes running up to him. And what does he do when he reaches him? Does he slap him? Does he hit him? Does he take off his shoe and beat him? No. The Bible says that he, it says he has compassion on him. It says he fell on his neck and he kissed him. Now this also fathers would never do. Fathers would never embrace their sons. They would never embrace their sons. The appropriate way to approach a patriarch was on your knees and you would place both hands on his legs and he would put his hands on your forehead. And if he was blessing you, maybe he would kiss the top of your head. That was the only acceptable way to approach a patriarch. But this father goes running down, grabs him, wraps his arms around him, and he's kissing him. And everyone is like, what is this father doing? Mm. Does he not know that his son has sinned? Does he not know that his son insulted him? Does he not know that he's wasted everything? And yet this father is not being a father. He's thrown aside all rules, all practices, all things that you know make him his patriarch. And he's running out into the dirt, into the dust, into the mud to meet his dirty, smelly, because he's been with the pigs, you know, sinful son and embracing him and kissing him like, you know, he was the most beloved thing that he'd ever met in his life. Hmm. Let's keep reading. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet 
and bring here the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. All right, so the son comes and he says, you know, I have sinned against heaven and you, please. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. You should not be embracing me like this. You should not be looking down on me like this. You should not be caring for me like this because I am at fault. I am sinned. I am wrong. And what does the dad say? He's like, no, no, no. Get him on his feet. You know, put shoes on his feet. Give him a fresh new robe and give him a ring. You know, what was the ring? The ring was the signal of authority. Mm. Up until only up until recent times, you know, they used to have signet rings, and that was whenever the ring was stamped, you knew it came with the authority of the person. And what the father is saying, no, you're becoming a son again, and you're not, and you're becoming a son with the authority of the son. You're getting the ring, mm-hmm. and then he said, let's kill the fatted calf. Now, what was the fatted calf? Well, in those days, food meat was scarce. Meat wasn't a very common meat. If you were lucky to live next to a source of water, then fish was your ge- general staple. But otherwise, you know, you had you know, you had your, your vegetables and you had your rice and you had your bread and occasionally, you you know, you had food from the birds. But whenever there was like a celebration in the family, say maybe a birthday or something, then you would, you would kill a goat. And the goat was so, you know, then everyone could have meat and celebrate. But for a very big celebration, like a wedding or, you know, when when something very, very major happened in the family, then you would kill the fatted calf. And the fatted calf was a cow that was kept from birth and raised and fed all the best things just so it could be this big juicy Mm -hmm. juicy thing to eat so you knew that when you ate that that was a massive celebration and so the father comes in he says not only are you a son again not only do you have all my authority not only are you reinstated but at the same time we're going to celebrate this I'm not seeing you coming back as a drudgery. I'm not seeing you coming back as, oh, well, you know, because you're my son, I have to take you back in. No, I'm celebrating the fact that you're back. And so he kills the fatted calf and it says they begin to party. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And yes, with the latest international edition of Nightlight, and our guest, David Kiran, who's been visiting us from Hyderabad in India, is teaching us on the topic of the prodigal son. Now, before we go on with part two of the story, which is the reaction to the prodigal son's return home by his elder brother, let's break for a song which applies the story to us today on a personal level. This is Emmanuel Gilligan with Prodigal Me.
And that's Emmanuel Gilligan with Prodigal Me. And if you're a fan of Emmanuel's songs, as indeed I am, you'll be very happy to hear that he's just sent me a bunch of songs that you've never heard on Nightlight before and which you can look forward to hearing on upcoming shows. It's Nightlight. What a delight. All right, back to you, David, as we go on with part two of your class on the prodigal son. Let me read the next verses. Now, his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. All right, so look what Jesus does here. Now Jesus is starting to is is starting to trick his listeners, or you know I wouldn't you know the, the Jesus was just so good at telling stories in a way that got everybody in the hot seat. I mean, if you read his parables in perfect context, it's amazing how he told them. And so he's saying, here comes the older son, and the older son hears the son sound of music and dancing, and he comes and he says, what is going on? And he says, oh, your younger brother has returned. And your father ordered a celebration, and we killed a fatted calf. And what does a son do? He gets mad. He gets super angry. He refuses his father's invitation to come into the house, and he stays outside. Now, what had the older son been doing the entire time? He had been staying with his father. 
He had been faithful to the Father. He had been serving the Father. He had been working hard for the Father. But at this moment in time, when his Father sent the invitation and said, please come in, he's rejected it. He's rejected the invitation. He's rejected the Father out of his anger over his younger brother. And so, the people are listening to this because if you start at the beginning of the chapter, you realize that Jesus is telling this to a group of Pharisees. They're sympathizing with the older brother. But now he's got them in a catch-22 because even in the older brother's righteousness, he's broken the law. He's insulted his father now Mm -hmm. because he's got angry with him and he's refused his invitation to come. And to refuse the invitation was a direct insult. Mm -hmm. And here he is, just like the younger son did a few chapters, a, a few verses back. He is now insulting his father and he's refusing to come in. Right. And now the people are sitting there thinking, Oh, please don't tell me this is going to happen. Please don't tell me that now the older brother is going to be sentenced to death because of what he did. Because also according to the law, the older brother has broken it and he should be sentenced. Gosh. Because that was the law. The law was the law. And so what you realize is, is now the younger son is inside, but the older son is lost now. Hmm. But what happens? The Bible says the father comes out once again. The father came out to the younger son. And now the father's coming out to the older son. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him. Entreated him. What a word. Fathers would never entreat. They would order. You do this. You do that. They were the heads of the family. Their word Mm -hmm. was law. Mm -hmm. This father comes out and begs with his son. Please, please come in. It's a heavy, heavy thing this father's doing. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years have I served you, neither transgressed I at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as your son came, who's devoured your living with harlots, you've killed for him the fatted calf. Well, so he's angry and he's angry with his father. And he's being super disrespectful. His father is begging him and he's refusing to listen. And he's saying, Father, you're wrong. All this time I've been faithful. All this time I have served you. All this time I've been loyal. All this time I've obeyed your every commandment. And yet you never gave and gave me a goat so I could celebrate my friends. But now my younger brother comes back. And for him, you killed the fatted calf. That's wrong. And he's not upset that his brother's back. He's upset because it seems that his father is being unfair and his father is, you know, is, is welcoming him and giving him a celebration, even though he was a sinner, when this guy was being faithful and God was giving him nothing. And then what does the father say? And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So the father says to him, he says, look, I know you're faithful. I know that you're good and everything that I have is yours, but it is right to celebrate. It is right to, you know, to rejoice in this fact because your brother is dead and he's alive again. He's lost and now he's found. And Jesus ends the parable there. Now we don't know and deliberately we don't know whether the older son accepted the invitation to come into the house and to be there. And I believe that Jesus left it that way because of his audience. Mm. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the Pharisees. Mm. He was speaking to the religious leaders. He was speaking to those who were perfect in every way. 
those who had kept up, upheld the law, those who had, you know, who tithed, you know, their grains of rice mm-hmm. and their leaves, you know, from their spinach. These guys were people who, you know, every single jot and tittle of the law they kept. And in fact, if you go to the book of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking to disciples, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't make it into the kingdom of heaven because these guys were the epitome of what was righteous. And that's what, what this son was doing. He was everything that the other son was not. But at this moment, he's outside the father's house and he's not inside. And I think Jesus left that as a choice because he was speaking to, you know, the people who were the righteous older brothers of Israel. So what is the message then through this interpretation of the parable? There's not one lost son. There's two lost sons. Right. I never thought of that. One son is lost in his sin. One son is doing everything wrong possible, breaking every rule of God, and he's lost. The other son is doing everything right, trying his best to be good, trying his best to be obedient, trying his best to be faithful. But he still is lost because he won't accept the love of his father. Hmm. He won't accept the forgiveness of his father. He won't accept the mercy of his father. And so he's also lost. Hmm. One guy's lost in his wickedness. One guy's lost in his goodness. And so both are outside the father's house. And so this parable is not about the one prodigal son. Hmm. It's about the two lost sons and the one prodigal father. Now, what does the word prodigal mean? Prodigal means lavish. It means with so much, it's almost wasteful. And that's why we call the son the prodigal son, because he lived lavishly and he was, you know, he was just being wasteful with everything. But when you actually think about it in this context, the prodigal person is the father because he's lavish with love. That's what prodigal means? I never knew that. Yeah. He's almost wasteful with his love. And everyone listening is thinking that this father is crazy. This father is going to the ends of the earth to bring in these children who have done him so much wrong, you know, who've hurt him in so many ways, in very different ways, but they've still hurt him. And under the law, they both deserve to suffer. But that father reached out and brought them in. What brought them into the father's house? It was the father going out and bringing him in because of the love that he had for them. And he had different ways of going out to the son who was lost in his wickedness and felt that he could never attain back to being a son. The father ran out to him, embraced him, put a ring on his hands, shoes on his feet, brought him in, celebrated. To the older brother who was lost because of his righteousness, the father came out, pleaded, begged with him, just come in, just accept it, just be there. Because that, at the end of the day, is what God wants all his children in the Father's house. But how was this made possible? Well, technically, you know, it should have been the older brother who was going out to get the son, to get the younger brother, hmm. because that was his responsibility. It wasn't the father's responsibility to go out, it was his responsibility to go out. But he didn't, he stayed outside. But when Jesus was telling them this parable, he was also alluding to the fact that within a few short years, he would be the real older brother. Hmm. And he would go, and he would pay that price Hmm. to bring all the children in to the father's house, 
Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, it says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And then you jump down to verse 48, and it says, unless you're perfect as God is perfect, you're also not getting the kingdom of heaven. And so that pretty much discounted every person. You know, the Bible says there are none righteous. Even the people, the scribes and the Pharisees, who thought they were so great and righteous, they still are lost. There are still people in this world, you know, who just who try to do their best to live in upright ways, and yet they still fall short by their own standards. Because the Bible says all all sin and come short the glory of God. And when I have conversations with people, and they're like, "Well, I'm a pretty good person, and you know, I don't think I've made any mistakes." I was like, okay, well, don't be judged by the law of God. You know, don't be judged by the Bible. Don't be judged by any secular laws. Just imagine you have an invisible tape recorder in your pocket. And every time you say, oh, this person should do that because that's right. That only got recorded. At the end of your life, if that was played back to you, you would be a failure by your own standard. Because a lot of the things that we tell other people to do because this is right, we fail to do ourselves. We tell people that they shouldn't lie, we lie. We tell people they shouldn't cheat, we cheat. We all make mistakes, and all of us have fallen short. So it doesn't matter whether we are, as the as the old, younger son, complete, you know, outward sinners, or whether we are, you know, as the older son, the inward sinners. Both are lost outside the father's house, and this is when we need someone to come out and get us. And that someone who comes out to get us is Jesus. Yeah, because um, that would have been the responsibility of the of the older brother. He should have been the one to come out to do it. And what Jesus was basically saying was that, you know, in a few short years, I'm going to be the older brother and I'm going to come out and I'm going to show you the right way. And I am going to give my life so that way you can be brought in. Because at the end of the day, as we saw in, um, in, the, in, cha- in Matthew chapter 5, who is the one who is more righteous than the Pharisees? Jesus. The Bible says that while he lived, he was tempted in all points and yet without sin. And who is perfect as God is perfect? Jesus. He's the only one whose righteousness could bring us into the kingdom. The only one whose righteousness could cover all of our sins. And he paid that price. The Bible said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The son of God came out and died the death of a common sinner so that those of us who are common sinners could be the child of God. And like that famous quote says, it says the the child became the ultimate outsider. And so the ultimate outsider could become the child. Mm. And mm. that's and that's what Jesus did for us. Wow. And so to summarize what I want to do is I guess I want to just say two things. Uh, first thing I want to say is if you have not accepted the invitation yet, if you are still outside, whether whether you're like the older son or whether you're like the younger son, I don't know what it is. I don't know your life. I don't know your situation. But I do know one thing. I do know the father's there. Mm-hmm. And I do know that he's extending his arms. And I do know that he is reaching out. And he's just not standing there in the doorway. He is running out to you and saying, come. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how good you've been or how bad you've been. You're my child. Mm-hmm come into my house. That invitation is with us all. That goes with us everywhere. The Bible says that God is always with us, you know, trying to bring us into the knowledge of him. I mean, even David said, the Psalmist David says it, I think it's in Psalms 139, he says, where can I go where your spirit is not there? 
you know, I can go into the depths of the sea or I can make, you know, my bed in heaven or I can even be in the depths of hell and your presence is still there. Your spirit is still there. The Father is always with us. He's always coming out to meet us. You know, the love of Jesus, the love of God is always there. It's up to us at any moment just to walk in the Father's house and accept it and to have that love with us forever. And the second thing I want to say is if you have already accepted that love and if you are in the Father's house and if you're enjoying life as a son, then, as Jesus says at the end of the parable, it is right to celebrate. It is right to rejoice when others come in. I would like to say that you now, as a redeemed, saved, and loved child of God, go out and give that love to others. Go out and extend that invitation. Go out and bring other people in. Because that's what the older brother should have done. That's what our older brother Jesus did. And that is what we all should be doing as well. The Bible says freely as we've received, we should freely give. And so we should give that love as God has given it to us. As our wonderful, crazy, amazing God has given to us. And I think that's why I want to, if possible, I mean, of course, I can't change in every version, but mm-hmm. if, if possible, I would like to have this parable renamed not as the prodigal son, but as the prodigal God. Mm-hmm. Because as I mentioned earlier, the word prodigal, it really means lavish. It means wasteful. Now, I if, never knew that. I always just thought it meant somebody who, you know, backslid and then came Well, see, back. that's the context we use it in now because, you know, because the, the, the parable is called the prodigal son. Right. And so we automatically say when someone has gone away and come back, oh, they're a prodigal son, mm-hmm. like that. But no, the actual original meaning means lavish to the point of wastefulness. Hmm. You know, someone who just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives without any thought for anything else. Hmm. And that's why we did, it was rightly called the prodigal son because that's what the son did. He kept wasting, he kept giving it out and all those different things. And so everyone said, oh, this guy's wasteful. But when people went away from hearing this parable, they weren't thinking about the two sons. They were thinking about the father. Hmm. And they were thinking, my God, what a lavish father. What a wasteful father. What a prodigal father. No matter what the sons have done to him, no matter what has happened to him, no matter how many insults he's dealt with, no matter the family fortune is going away, no matter his son has committed all these sins, no matter his older son is shaming him in front of everybody, in front of all his guests by refusing to come in, this father's love does not end. Hmm. And they went away thinking, where does this love come from? Where do you find a father with such incredible love? And that is the love we find in Jesus. And Paul himself echoed this statement later on into the New Testament. Paul himself was saying, he says, where do we find this love? Where does this love come from? What country? This is beyond any of our understandings. We do not know how or where or why, you know, God loves us and where it comes from. But that's just his nature. The Bible says God is love. And it's a love that just uh, that comes through everything that he does. And he's always extending it to us. He's always giving it to us. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what you've done. That love is always there. There's nothing you can do to earn that love. But get this. There's nothing you can do that can take that love away from mm-hmm. you. It's always there because that's the nature of God. He oh. wants to give. He wants to give that love. And honestly, that is the love that every single person is hoping for. You know, the deepest, most basic need of humankind is to be loved Mm -hmm. you know if you talk to any of the the you know like the big coaches or psychologists or motivational speakers especially people like anthony robbins who are considered Mm -hmm. to be like the top of the line they will say that you know every human has six basic needs 
But the most strongest of all those needs is the need for for love. It is the need for camaraderie. It's the need for for belonging to something. It's that love that we all seek. And every human has that need in yeah. their heart. And it's not only our greatest need, it's also our greatest fear. Mm-hmm. We want to be known and we want to be loved. And let me tell you something. To be loved but not known, that's fake. To be known but not loved, that's our greatest fear. Mm. But to be known completely and totally all the way down and yet to be loved all the way to the sky, that is all of our dreams. Mm. And that's exactly the love that God has for us. The Bible says that before the worlds were created, God knew our name. The Bible says that before we were formed in our mother's wombs, God knew everything that we were ever going to do, the good, the bad, everything that we could have possibly done. And yet God looked at that and he said, I am willing to become flesh and die so I can give my love to that person that that person may be my child forever. That's a lavish God. That's a prodigal God. And that is the God we have, our God who is love and he's not just our God he's our father and if we accept the invitation and we come on in we can live as his children in his house mm-hmm. forever inspiring you to draw closer to God you're listening to Nightlight And thanks so much, David, for that great class. And please do come back again and join us on the show again soon. I really hope I will come back. And thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great honor, and I've loved speaking to you. And I hope all the listeners enjoyed it. Well, we do have time to go out with another song. And I think this is the first time I've played the same song twice on one program. But this is another wonderful version of Jeremy Spencer's Prodigal Son song. This one from Jerry Palladino. I'll say bye for now. Be back again very soon with another international edition of Nightlight. God bless. Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? There was a man who had two sons One wanted to leave He said he'd take his inheritance And do as he pleased The younger son got it all together And journeyed away Waste his life in riotous living Playing foolish games When he had spent all there came A famine in the land He began to be in want With nothing left in his hands He went to work for a local farmer Feeding the swine Living on the husks of the world and no longer drinking wine Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone 
selfie said I'm going back home My father's servants have enough to eat And I'm dying all alone I'll arise and go to my father And say unto him Father, I have sinned against heaven Please take me in Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son saw him coming and rejoiced inside called his servants to prepare a feast bring out the new wine oh let us sing and let us be merry he's now safe and sound my son was dead and is alive again was lost and is found let us sing and let us be merry He's now safe and sound My son was dead and is alive again Was lost and is found Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Oh, hasn't everyone Been a prodigal son? Everyone